Hey everybody, this is Dave from Cross Point Church. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I know that our world is full of unrest and chaos right now, but thankfully our lives are not anchored in this world or in the circumstances we find ourselves in. Our lives are anchored in God and His Word. We hope that you find encouragement from the message today, and when you're done, you can head over to crosspointwestdallas.com to learn more about us or register for one of our two Sunday services. Until then, enjoy this message from our series, The Book of Psalms. Good morning, church. Great to be here with you today. Uh, as the kids are dismissed to the to a CP Kids, I just want to thank the worship team for all the work they're doing. Really appreciate you guys and, uh, and everyone who's volunteering uh, during this, these kind of strange times. It's uh, great to have all of you here. And my name's Dave, in case we haven't met, and I am uh, the pastor here at Cross Point. And if you are a guest with us today, uh, we would love to get to know you a little bit. And if you would like to uh, share any information with us, then um, there's a, there should be like a card taped to one of the seats that's way in front of you. <laughs> and it has a QR code. And if you uh, open your camera app on your phone and point it towards that QR code, it should take you to a website, and it'll take you about 30 seconds just to fill out a digital form and send it to us, and that way we can get to know you and a little bit about you, and we can follow up with you. Um, And if you don't want to use the QR code, then just come talk to me. I prefer that anyway. (laughs) I've got time for you after the service today. We can just chat for a minute. I'd love to get to know you and to meet you. And uh, those, for those of you watching from home, um, we're so glad you're watching today, and we miss you, and um, we love you too, so thank you for tuning in today. We're kicking off a new series today from the book of James, and it's called The Book of James. I worked really hard on the title for this series, <laughs> and uh, honestly, the book of James is a tough one to like nail down one predominant theme because James covers so many different things. So we're just calling it the book of James. And we're going to go through the book of James for the next eight weeks. We're not going verse by verse. We're not going to go through it super slow. But we are going to cover eight unique themes throughout this unique New Testament letter. And today, our theme is endurance. We're going to talk about endurance built to last. We're going to talk about what it means to be built to last from the book of James, verses 1 through 18. Now, you might be wondering, well, who wrote the book of James? It was a guy named James, and there were a handful of important men named James in the New Testament. Scholars mostly agree that this was James, the half-brother, the younger brother of Jesus, who probably wrote this letter. He was a prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem for some 20 years. He led the church in Jerusalem, and he led the church through some really difficult times. In the ancient uh, world, in ancient Near East, it was already difficult to be identified with Jesus. If you identified with Jesus, you were seen as a strange uh, sort of, yeah, like a strange kind of outsider who hold, held to extreme views. You were seen as an enemy of the state sometimes, an enemy of the God of Israel even. And um, you were seen as someone who would stir up trouble. And you, if you were a Christian in the ancient Near East, you might be persecuted or pressured to hide your faith and things like that. Now, James never led the church through a pandemic, but he did lead the church through persecution, through widespread poverty, through a famine, 
and he led the church through some really hard times, and he was acquainted with suffering. This is a man who had a front row seat to the life and, and some of the pain in Jesus' life, and he saw Jesus suffer and die, and he saw a lot of Christians suffer. And in 62 AD, James himself was killed for his faith. He was beat to death with clubs for his faith in Jesus. So he knew what it was to suffer for his faith. And this letter was one of the earliest, it might have been the earliest New Testament document. It might have been the first letter ever written to any church. It was probably written in the mid-40s AD, not very long after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Probably the overarching theme of the whole letter of the book of James is maturity. What does it mean to have a strong, mature faith? That's why James is writing to the church. He wants Christians everywhere to grow in maturity. He doesn't want us to stay immature, just like parents don't want their kids to stay immature. And speaking of maturity, I saw the presidential debate this last week. And I was kind of shocked by the immature behavior that was displayed by these two powerful men who are vying for the, for the title of President of the United States. I mean, it was, it was quite a display. It was childish. It was quite a display of immaturity. There was name-calling. There was a gross lack of honor. There was very little restraint. There was bullying. There was a lack of humility. I was not inspired. I was not challenged. I was not impressed. I was disappointed. And the sad part is that those two men had an opportunity to rise above petty arguments and to rise above name-calling and to rise above um, all of the, you know, the talking over one another and that kind of bullish behavior and to show restraint and to show composure, to show respect, to show maturity and patience and, and dignity. They had an opportunity to give us all a vision for what the future of our nation could be. And I felt they fell a little short of that. Now that's just my opinion, and you are entitled to your opinion, but that's kind of how I felt about it, and I just wanted to share that with you. Now, this, what I'm about to say, is not my opinion, all right? You and I have an opportunity right now to see God do something great in our lives and in our church, and I believe that over the next eight weeks, God is going to give us a vision for what the future of our church could be and what the future of your life as a follower of Jesus could be, if we would only listen. You know what I mean? And so I'm excited about that because, and that vision, by the way, that vision starts with suffering. Our vision starts with suffering. Suffering is an opportunity for God to break through the silence and speak something new into our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James. It should be towards the end of your Bible. It's after the book of Hebrews. And it's before the book of 1 Peter. So that's, it's, it's been tucked way back in there in your New Testament. And we're going to read just the first few verses here to get started. But before we do, please, please uh, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our church, for what you're doing in our world God, we pause this morning to pray for President Trump and the First Lady. Uh, we also pray for, for Senator Ron Johnson. We pray for their health and recovery. We pray for uh, those men and women that you have placed in authority over us, God, that you would give them wisdom and grace during this very tumultuous period in our, in our nation's history and in a very hostile political climate. 
we ask, God, that you would give them patience, that you would give them composure, that you would give them restraint and self-control, that you would give them wisdom to lead us. And God, we pray for, we pray for our leaders at this church that you would give us wisdom, give us vision, give us, give us the strength that we need to, to lead through difficult times. We pray, Father, that today you would open your word to us. We pray for revelation. We pray for restoration. We pray, God, that you would show yourself to us, that we would see you as you truly are, that we would leave here today changed and inspired to follow Jesus. And we thank you for who you are, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, pray. let's uh, start with James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is what we read. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now James starts out, he says he's writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Now at this time, it's pretty much only Jewish believers, mostly Jewish believers. He's really writing to Christians everywhere, Jewish Christians in particular. And what he's saying is that when your faith is tested, God is giving you the opportunity of a lifetime. When suffering comes into your life in pain, God is giving you an incredible opportunity. He's in giving you an opportunity for great joy, he says. And that joy comes from the fact that suffering, if we let it, produces endurance. And how important is endurance to life with Jesus? I want you to think about that today. How important is endurance to life with Jesus? We talk a lot about faith, we talk a lot about love, we talk a lot about uh, generosity and all of these other things that are so important to the Christian life. But how important is endurance? In, you know, endurance is becoming a trendy and very popular way of life for many Americans today. There's so many people today who are really into endurance races, like more than ever before, more than I can ever remember we, we, people are, are signing up for half marathons and marathons and the Tough Mudder circuit and the Tougher Mudder and the Toughest Mudder and like all of these uh, crazy races across tough terrain. I have a friend who's really into this and he does these ultra marathons, like 50 miles in deep snow, through hills, through woods, over mountains. I mean, all this kind of stuff. He's just really into that. And, and I don't get it. I just don't get it, and, and I'm, a, I'm a pretty fit person for my age, and I exercise and stuff, but I'm, I just have no interest in doing that. I don't have the time. I don't have the mental and physical uh, commitment and resolve to, go, to follow through with that. I don't have the motivation. I, I just don't have it. You know why? Because it's painful. It's incredibly strenuous and exhausting and painful, and these, these people train hours and hours and hours a week. But I, I got to say, I give them credit. I, I have so much respect for endurance athletes and for that way. It becomes, it's a way of life for them. Like, it's really important to them. And, and here's something that they have discovered, and I, and I really appreciate this about them. They have discovered that there's something profoundly satisfying and even joyful 
about enduring very hard things. That's what they've discovered. Just ask any woman who's given birth to a baby. I mean, I mean giving birth to a baby is an endure. I mean, that's endurance. And, and most women, probably all women who've given birth to a baby would agree, there's something profoundly satisfying and even, jo- even joyful about going through that entire nine months and going through the agony of, del- of childbirth and being able to hold that child. And maybe, I don't know, maybe running an ultra marathon is one way men could more easily identify with their wives. You know, train for nine months, then run a 36-hour race in grueling conditions. I don't, I don't want to know. But I do want to ask this question again. How important is endurance to life with Jesus? Think about the people in Jesus' circle who did not endure. Did you realize that? I mean, think about this. Crowds of hundreds and even thousands of people started following Jesus but didn't finish. These people saw Jesus in person, live and in person, teach I mean, they, he, he taught from the very mouth of God. He healed. He performed miracles. They, they showed up because they wanted to see Jesus do something amazing. All of these crowds followed him from town to town. But at the end of Jesus' life, after he died and rose again, we read in the book of Acts chapter 1 that only 120 people are left. 120 people, men and women, are, had kept following Jesus. What happened to the rest? I'll tell you what happened. They didn't endure. Do you know why they didn't endure? Trials, testing, and temptation. That's why. Their faith was tested and they failed the test. Most of the people who saw Jesus alive failed the test. They did not endure. Listen to what Romans 5 says about endurance. And once again, notice the relationship between pain and and endurance. It says in verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. It's almost like if faith was a muscle, then pain and suffering is like steroids, or at least it's like our spiritual protein powder. It's, it's God's way of rapidly increasing our faith and endurance. We had a baptism service a couple weeks ago, and it was awesome. I, I loved, and one of the things I loved about it was I didn't baptize anybody. I got to see three different people baptize three people who are, had a profound influence in their life. And I loved, I loved seeing that, and I love watching people take that step and, and publicly declare their loyalty to Jesus And it allowed me some time to reflect on all the people that I've baptized over the last eight years or so. And it's not that many. It's it's really not not like I've baptized hundreds of people. I I still remember the first person I baptized, though, Amanda Gustafson. I remember baptizing her. I remember remember we were on stage. This was at our old building in Franklin. And I was standing there with her, and, and we were, you know, the rest of the church was watching. And I said to her, and this wasn't planned, but I just remember saying, Amanda... Don't be nervous, but I've never done this before. And we both laughed, and I think she wondered if I knew what I was going to do next. And it all went fine. And 
one of the things I really appreciated about Amanda's story, and Amanda has shared her story with us as a church, and I'll never forget her story because the key pivotal moment in her life that God used to bring her to Jesus was an event of intense pain and suffering. The loss of her dad. God used the loss of her dad to, to birth faith in her. You know, and she has endured through that. She's endured through more, a lot more than that. And she now has a mature faith. And that's a big part of, of her story. But here's the thing. I've baptized other people who are no longer following Jesus. I, I baptized a young man one time who later took his own life. I've baptized people who have given up on, on their faith. And every time I baptize some, I see someone new step into that tank and say, I'm for Jesus. I, I, I wrestle with this question every time. Will they endure? Will they be here in three years? Will they be here in five years? In 10 years, 15, 20 years, will they still be following Jesus? Will they be stronger? Will they just keep growing and growing and growing? Or will they fail the test? Because here's something I know about every, everybody. Every single person who says yes to Jesus will be tested. Everybody. There are no exceptions. Everyone gets tested. Everyone struggles. Everyone suffers. Everyone will have pain come into their lives. It's not like you say yes to Jesus and it's and, and just, you know, a constant shower of blessings. That's not how it works. We are constantly confronted with pain and evil and suffering. It's all around us and Christians are not immune. And our faith is always tested and God tests our faith for one main reason, so that we can have joy because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance, and endurance produces godly character so that we can become mature and complete and not lack anything. And that's cause for joy. That's cause for joy. And with his first words in this crucial letter to the first Christian church, James says that when you suffer, you have the opportunity of a lifetime. You have an opportunity to see endurance grow in your life. So let it grow. That's what he says. So let it grow. Don't rush out from under that pressure and pain. And that's what we so often want to do. We feel that sting. We feel that hurt. We feel that pain. Someone hurts us and we don't like it. So what do we do? We try to escape it. We self-medicate. We do things to hide from the pain, to run from the pain, because we don't like the pain. But James is saying, wait, 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 slow down. God wants to do something here. Don't run away from this. You have an opportunity, and you need to wait for God to use this pain to produce new life in you, to show his power in your life, to show how much he loves you, he wants to develop godly character. He wants to develop endurance. So don't be so quick to run away from this. Even though it's what we want to do, even though it's our instinct, just stay. Let that pain have its way. Let, let God use that pain to produce endurance in you. Look at what James writes next in verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. 
Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, if the unifying theme of this passage right here is suffering in the faith community, and that's what I believe it is. I believe that's the unifying theme right here, suffering in the faith community. And how is the faith community going to respond to this suffering? Then what we need here is wisdom. When we suffer, we need wisdom. That's what he's saying. When you suffer physically, you need wisdom to know what to do. When you suffer in a relationship and there's brokenness or hurt in a relationship, someone offends you, someone turns their back on you, someone betrays you, they abuse you, whether it's emotionally or in some other way, we need wisdom to know what to do. We need wisdom to know what to do when there's pain in our homes and in our marriages and with our children. We need wisdom to know how to help people who are discouraged and feel alone, who feel isolated, who are people who are depressed. All of that is, those are all different ways that we suffer and we need wisdom to know how to respond to those things. Very often uh, in the church, and we'll talk about this later on in the series, but even here in chapter 1, James identifies two unique groups of people in the church, rich people and poor people. There's rich Christians and poor Christians, and they're both in the church. And very often, they don't don't really mingle. The rich people kind of say to themselves, the poor people kind of say to themselves, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so we have all these problems, and, and James is saying, look, rich people have their own unique struggles. They, rich Christians, in fact, struggle with a false sense of security. They find false security in their riches. And they struggle with other temptations too, namely greed. Poor people are just plain suffering. I mean, they just don't have anything. And there were a lot of poor people in the church back then. They were day laborers, hired farmhands. They would find work for a day or maybe a week, and then they'd be back to nothing. They oftentimes didn't even know where their next meal was coming from. And they need help. They need wisdom. To, I mean, these aren't people who were, like, in debt. I mean, that's a modern American problem. These are people who just don't have anything. And so they need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom when we suffer financially. We need wisdom to know what to do. And James is saying... If you need wisdom, just ask God. He's ready to give it to you. But don't ask God if you're not completely sure you need God. All right? Like, don't ask God if you're not totally ready to do whatever God shows you to do. Because have you ever, has has someone ever come to you and asked you for help or advice? And you gave them advice, but then they left and you felt like they didn't really need your advice? Does that ever happen to you? I have a daughter who comes to me regularly with an article of clothing in both hands. And she'll say to me, Dad, which one do you like better? And I always choose one. And she always wears the other one. And I'm like, why do you keep asking me for my opinion? Is it because I'm not cool and you're going to wear the, you know. Don't even bother asking me. And that's what James is saying here. Don't ask God if you're not ready to take his advice. If you're not going to take his wisdom, if you're not going to do what he says, then don't ask. Because you're an unstable person. We need God's wisdom to get through trials. In fact, that's the reason for the trial, is to get us on our knees before God and ask him in full assurance of faith for wisdom and help. And God will give it because he's good. He's generous. He, every good gift comes from him. We're, we'll read that later. 
So we shouldn't hesitate to go to God as long as we believe, as long as we're ready to do whatever he shows us to do. Now we're going to jump down to verse 12 as James comes uh, full circle back to the subject of endurance. And this is what he says in verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, sometimes our faith is tested by things that happen to us. All right, that was, that's what the first part of the passage was about. Bad things happen to us, and our faith gets tested. Are we going to trust God through this, or are we going to find some other way to get through it? But right here, he's saying a lot of times our trials and troubles and temptations are coming because, are, happen because of things going on inside of us. That's what's going on. That's where the temptation comes from. And so many times we look, to, you know, we look at God and we're like, God, if you didn't want me to look at that, why did you give me these urges? Or God, if you didn't want me to do that, why'd you make me this way? And we want to blame God for the way that we are. We want to blame God for something that we've done or some poor decisions we've made. And, and James is saying, you, you can't do that. Okay, that, that's completely opposite of God's character. God cannot be tempted. He does not tempt us. Okay, those temptations come from our desires. Right? God doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want us to fail. Those, we have all these desires in our heart, and if we're not careful, those desires give birth to sin, and those sins give birth to death. Because that's what sin does. It kills. Sin kills. That's, that's what it does. It kills relationships. It kills dreams. It kills spiritual maturity. It stunts our spiritual growth. It kills churches. It kills families. It kills marriages. It kills, it kills, it kills. And God is saying those, all of those desires and all that sin comes from our sinful nature, our evil desires. That's where it all starts. And we have a choice. We can either let endurance grow or we can let sin grow. We have that choice. Pastor Craig Rochelle says, he said this, the good news is not that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. Now, you probably knew that, but here's the thing. A lot of times, we act like we hate trials more than we hate sin. And if we ever get to the place where we hate trials and suffering more than we hate sin, we're in trouble. You know why? Because suffering is the way that God removes sin from our life. Suffering is what God uses to kill the sin in our lives. Just like fire refines precious metals. Gold is placed in fire and the fire melts and purifies the gold. All the impurities are burned away. And the same way, pain in our lives remove the impurities in our hearts. Trials have a way of burning off our sin, our self-reliance, our pride, our selfish ambitions, and all those lies we tend to believe, all those lies we tend to live by. 
God uses trials to purify us and turn us back to Jesus, to show us how desperately we need Jesus. So, towards the end of this letter, before we get to this last couple verses of this passage, I, I want to point, point something out about James in particular and about this letter, uh, something maybe some of you, most of you didn't know. James, the book of James has got kind of a, some harsh treatment over the centuries from some really good biblical scholars uh, because it's unique. Um, it's not like Paul's letters. It's not like a lot of the uh, New Testament letters. In fact, Martin Luther, who is just an incredible man of God and, and a great biblical scholar, actually believed that James doesn't even belong in the Bible. And, and other scholars, too, have kind of shied away from James. And the reason is because James doesn't talk about Jesus very much. He mentions Jesus a couple times. He doesn't really talk about the gospel very much. There's a lot of do's and don'ts. There's over 50 commands. Uh, almost half of the verses in James are a command, like, do this, don't do this. And, and, you know, we kind of struggle with that kind of, kind of language, some of us. You know, like, even in this passage, you could, you know, it's like, um, consider suffering joy. It almost sounds like he's saying, just be happy when you suffer. That's not really what he's saying, but, you know, he's like, stop wavering. Be loyal to God. Ask God for wisdom. Don't doubt. Stop sinning. I mean, some of us would find that not very helpful. I mean, if I came up here every week and, and just said, Brothers and sisters, stop sinning. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, that, that wouldn't really help most of you very much. But here's the thing. The gospel is actually all over the book of James. We just have to know how to find it, right? So I want you to look at verses 16 to 18 with me. Listen to this, and I want you to listen for the good news of Jesus here. This is, this is his conclusion to this first part of the letter. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Now listen to verse 18. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Did you hear the gospel, brothers and sisters? Did you hear it? God created every good thing. And out of all creation, we became his prized possession. How did that happen? How did that happen? Jesus. It happened because Jesus humbled himself and became a servant to do the will of his Father. And we know that it was God's will to crush Jesus. It was God's will for Jesus to die on the cross so that we could become his children. And he chose to give birth to us by giving us the word of truth. And that phrase, the word of truth, in verse 18 is found four other times in the New Testament, and every single time it's talking about the gospel of Jesus. The, it's the gospel of Jesus, grace for sinners. Jesus died for us so that we could be forgiven. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, he rose again. That's the gospel, that's the word of truth, that's the message, the preached word that you and I heard. And when we put our faith in the gospel, we came alive. We were born again into this new life. 
This new relationship with God the Father, His Spirit came to dwell inside of us. This is James talking about the new birth through the preaching of the gospel. And that's what he's saying is the key to endurance. It's remembering that we've been born again, that we are a new creation, and God will never change. He will never go back on his promises to us. We are his prized possession because Jesus laid down his life so that we could experience the life of God. The gospel, that's the good news right here in chapter 1. Yes, we suffer. We're going to suffer. Yes, we are tempted. We're going tempt, to be tempted. We're going to be tested. We're going to fail sometimes. We're going to give in to temptation. We sometimes choose sin instead of faith. But thank God he never changes. Thank God we are his prized possession and he will never let us go. I told you earlier about how much, I, how much respect I have for endurance athletes most of you know that there are certain animals that are just have incredible endurance. They're, it's like they're built for endurance. For example, horses. Horses can run at a top speed of 55 miles an hour, and they have a, a unique kind of uh, blood. Their blood can, has this ability to produce incredible amounts of oxygen so that they can run for long distances. Humans can't achieve that aside from doping. Horses produce it naturally. Incredible stamina. Sled dogs. Sled dogs can pull a sled at a speed of 25 miles an hour for hours and hours and hours. They just have trained for endurance. Camels. Now they can only run 40 miles an hour, but they can outrun a horse if you give them about 15 miles. They have way more endurance than a horse even because they can store fat and energy in their humps. Antelopes can run 60 miles an hour for miles. They have these long legs. They have incredible aerobic ability, incredible endurance. Now, the one that tops them all is the ostrich. With those freakishly long legs, made up mostly of tendons, like they're running on pogo sticks, they can run for 50 miles an hour for miles and miles and miles. But do you know which creature is superior to all of them when it comes to physical endurance? Does anyone know? Anyone? <laughs> Your dog who's sleeping in the front row? I don't believe you, Ed. Um, no, I don't know if someone said this, but it, it's humans. It's human beings. Our ability to sweat along with our lack of fur allows us to run in hot weather for way longer than any animal could. We have the best cooling system. Our short toes make us more efficient runners. Our ligaments and tenders, tendons are more springy than all of those other animals to save ostrich, ostriches. Our narrow waistlines allow us to swing our arms and have more balance than most other animals. Humans can outrun a horse in a marathon. None of you probably can, but, you know, exceptional marathon runners. <laughs> I'm not talking about the average human. Sorry, guys. I started thinking some great thoughts. Um, the truth is that humans can outrun and outlast anything if you give us enough time. And just like humans are made for physical endurance, Christians are made for spiritual endurance. Christians are built to last. 
We are made for hard times. It's like suffering well and long. It's like in our nature. It's in our new nature. It's in our new nature to withstand suffering with incredible resilience and peace and joy and confidence. No one else can suffer like Christians. And do you know why that is? Because we have the spirit of the living Christ living in us. And Jesus Christ endured the worst kinds of suffering, the worst kinds of physical and emotional anguish, the worst kind of isolation, and he went through it all without complaining, without retaliating, and without any support from his closest friends. And his spirit is inside you. And his spirit is inside me. And that means that we are built to last. We are built to endure anything And when we face suffering, we can choose joy because we know God is ready to use our pain to make us mature, to transform our character, to increase our hope, and to enlarge our faith. Many people are crushed under the weight of sin and trials every day, but we don't have to be because we have the greatest endurance champion in the history of the world as our personal trainer. And it's Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 13, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says this to the church. Run with endurance the race God marked out for us. We do this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. So here's what I want you to remember today, church. We are built to last because Jesus stayed. Jesus stayed. He faced every trial and temptation, but he stayed. He was tempted to get down off the cross, to call a legion of angels to his side to help him and comfort him. But he didn't do that. He stayed. No matter how dark it got, he stayed. No matter how much it hurt, he stayed. He endured so that we can endure. And I want to let you know this today. If you're going through a trial, if you're here today and you're going through some intense suffering or trial or pain in your life and you feel alone and you feel isolated, if you feel like your faith is being stretched to the breaking point, you feel like your, your faith is just under fire, I want you to know today that you are not alone. You are not alone. Not only do you have the Spirit of God living in you, but you have us. You have the body of Christ here. And we care about you. We care about what you're going through. We love you. We are in this together. We are called to carry one another's burdens. You are not alone. You are part of a family. A family of redeemed, bright, shining, I mean, endurance Christians. And we were made for this. We were made for this. So don't forget that today, brothers and sisters. And as a further reminder, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. So when you sat down, you should have found uh, this little cup. And if you are a follower of Christ, we invite you to join with us today in remembering the suffering of Jesus. 
That's what we do when we take communion. We remember the suffering of Jesus. And before we take of this uh, bread and cup, I'd like to share with you a passage from Luke chapter 22. And this happened, this exchange between Jesus and his disciples took place on the night he was betrayed and arrested, the night he went into the garden and cried out to God in agony of spirit. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, it says this, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's peel that top layer off. And let's take the bread together as a church and remember the body of Jesus. And continuing in verse 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's all take the cup together and remember the blood that Jesus shed to atone for your sins and mine. Our Father in heaven, you are holy, and Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice you made, for the suffering you endured to bring us all the way home to God. And Lord Jesus, we know that nothing can separate us from your love, nothing. No matter what happens in our lives, no matter what is going to happen, things we can't even see yet, you are going to bring us all the way home to God because you endured it all, and you did it without sin. You are our champion. You are our forerunner, our pioneer, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we look to you today. We fix our eyes on you. That's the only way we'll ever finish is if we keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. And we pray that you would equip us today. Give us the wisdom we need, God. Give us the endurance we need to finish this race so that we can stand before you, Jesus, with joy in our hearts and no fear. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close our service. I'd like to give you the benediction this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1. Please bow your heads with me as I give you these words from 1 Peter. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. 
You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Listen to me, friends. Before you leave here today, listen to me. This is important. Your bank account is not precious to God, okay? Your career is not precious to God. Your physical health and safety is not precious to God. Your education is not precious to God. Your plans and dreams are not precious to God. But your faith is. Your faith is precious to God. And because of that, God will remove certain things from your life that are precious to you in order to show you what is precious to him. Your faith. And I'm praying, and I want to invite you to pray with me over the next eight weeks, that God will mature our faith. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you guys. We'll be praying for you all week. We'll see you next week.